invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be reading two different sections from Luke. That's on page 877 of your pew Bibles. A familiar passage of scripture here um, at Sunday we call Palm Sunday. But we remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Let's begin first with Luke 18, verse 31. Uh, hear the word of God, Luke 18, 31. And taking the twelve, he, that is Jesus, said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. Now turn ahead to the next chapter, Luke chapter 19, verse 29, 28. And when he, when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where... On entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for all of scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and Lord, on this Sunday, we, we thank you uh, for this gospel account uh, of Christ's humble 
and yet glorious and gracious entry into Jerusalem. And Lord, may it, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, lead us to a more joyful worship of Christ. But Lord, we we pray as well that it would uh, cause us as well, compel us to gladly uh, tell the good news of the gospel to the crowds around us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what a great joy it is to gather together as a church family for glorious worship on this Palm Sunday. And if you read the news of many churches around the country that have had greater restrictions, and we have endured here in Louisiana, or being able to gather uh, together again more freely. You know, but as we think back on this past year, all we recall all, all of the COVID cancellations. and you know, Just a sampling. Uh, consider all the sports events that were canceled, family road trips, you know, vacation Bible school, you know, even parades. You know, no Christmas parade here in Opelousas, no Mardi Gras parade in Lafayette, nor in New Orleans. You know, and at times it uh, sucked the wind out of us. You know, but at times even we as Christians can struggle uh, to recover joy in these discouraging days. You know, more than ever, as Christians, we need to be reading God's word and remembering the biblical prophecies, the scriptural promises about Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, Savior of sinners. You know, in our need, the Holy Spirit points us to this scriptural account. Actually, it's in all four of the Gospels of Christ, our conquering King, and our glorious Savior, as he humbly enters Jerusalem. You know, turn with me in your Bibles first to Luke chapter 18, verse 31. That's on page 878 of your pew Bibles. You know, this section is a vital prelude to, to Luke 19. You know, Jesus is preparing uh, to enter into Jerusalem. We read in Luke 18, 31, that he, that he takes the twelve aside and keep in mind that includes Judas in that crowd and Jesus grabs their attention as he says you know behold you know we're going up to Jerusalem and he uses the plural we're we're going up to Jerusalem and then this and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished you know, a, a bold biblical statement here uh, that, that Jesus gives. And if you read just through Luke's gospel, and if you're looking for a Bible reading this uh, week uh, leading up to Resurrection Sunday, you start with Luke 18 uh, tomorrow, and uh, you read through the end of Luke, Luke 25, that's Resurrection Sunday. But if you read through all of Luke's gospel you'll see that at least four times Jesus gives a a prophecy, you know, about his journey unto Jerusalem. 
You know, and Jesus in faith now is journeying up to Jerusalem and he teaches his disciples that, that truth that all scriptural prophecy will be fulfilled that is written about the Son of Man. And we're going to see a few titles for Jesus here in Luke 18 and then Luke 19, but that title, Son of Man, is a significant scriptural title. It's taken from Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, we read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So that title, Son of Man, reminds us of Jesus' dominion, of his might. That title is used again earlier in Luke 19 for for Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But again, Jesus assures us that every prophecy that is written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. And as we now turn to Luke 19, you'll see that Jesus does indeed fulfill every prophecy. And three prophecies that we'll look at here in Luke 19, a prophecy first from Zechariah, then a prophecy from Psalm 118, and then from Habakkuk. And part of what is being taught here is this. We can trust our Bibles because these Bible scriptural prophecies, gospel prophecies, point us not just to Jerusalem, but to Jesus as our promised Savior. So all of that for introduction as we focus on this truth. That Jesus' joyful entrance into Jerusalem gives scriptural assurance of our promised Savior. That was true on that first Palm Sunday. It is still true today. That Jesus' fulfillment of, of these prophecies give us scriptural assurance about our Savior, about salvation. And so the question is, how can we know? this scriptural assurance of our promised Savior. Begins with a gospel prophecy, then there's God-glorifying praise, and conclude with glad proclamation. Let's begin there with Luke 19, verse 28. There's a gospel prophecy about a donkey. Keep in mind that in both Luke 18 Luke 19, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. You know, it's a geographical truth. You know, we'll see there on the Mount of Olives, they'll descend down into the Kidron Valley and then ascend into Jerusalem. Uh, that is the high point of the region. But more importantly than being a geographical truth, it's a spiritual truth. You know, Jesus will be lifted up to die for the sins of his children. John 3, verse 14 tells us this. John 3, 14, Jesus himself speaking. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is going to be lifted up there upon the cross of Calvary. You know, they're just outside of Jerusalem. You know, one commentator called Jerusalem a city of destiny and destruction. We might almost add that word death for Jesus. But let's focus on on the details here, and all of these details are, are important as they center upon Christ. We see Jesus He's going to Jerusalem. He's there just to the east of Jerusalem. He's drawing near to Bethpage and Bethany. Bethany is a is the of uh, the town that uh, that can be located even today on maps. They're there at near the the top of the Mount of Olives. You know, he's headed to the cross. J.C. Ryle reminds us the cornerstone and crowning event in our Lord's ministry was his death for sinners. Now, it's not about his incarnation. That's not the, the primary truth. Yes, it's important. Not his transfiguration. It's his death upon the cross of Calvary, his resurrection. But once in Bethany there, he he sends two of his disciples, they're unnamed disciples. He gives them uh, the the command, go into the village in front of you. Presumably they're in Bethany, tells them to go to Bethpage. In Jesus' instructions, we hear his authoritative voice and we acknowledge his omniscience, Jesus knows all the details about these scriptural prophecies as well. Now, in the first scriptural prophecy that is fulfilled is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous And having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, Jesus is Israel's coming king. Jesus is humble. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is the one having salvation. And he arrives on a young donkey, a colt. Jesus comes with humility, with Meekness, as it said in another gospel, Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And as we look at the this prophecy from Zechariah nine verse nine, it's it's fulfilled in at least six ways, and we'll we'll go through this quickly. You know, the first part of the prophecy, Jesus says, tells his disciples, on entering the village, you will find a colt tied. That fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9. Secondly, on which no one has ever sat. Jesus knows that. It's unridden, not saddle broke. Almost tempted to say, think bucking bronco. 
you know, but I don't know enough about donkeys. And Jesus gives them a command. It's the third detail. Untie it and bring it here. Jesus knows it will be tied. And Jesus asks them to bring it to him. You know, note here, Jesus does not ask them to steal. You know, we could rightly say Jesus asks them to commandeer. Take it even a step further, as the Son of God, the creator of the universe, we could say, that's Jesus' donkey. He created it. You know, it's his by right of creation. You know, fourth, Jesus knows that they will be confronted, and so he has a prepared response that he gives to his disciples. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this. The Lord has need of it. There's another title for Christ. You know, and behold Jesus' omniscience here, because they do ask the disciples, you know, where are you taking this cold? The fifth detail, the disciples have a ready obedience. You know, they don't doubt Jesus. They don't second-guess him. No delayed obedience They went away as Jesus sent them. They found it just as he had told them. And then the last fulfillment of Jesus' words there, as the disciples faithfully untied the colt, its owners suddenly appear and confront them. Why are you untying the colt? And the disciples quote Jesus' words back to this owner, no further resistance. You know, consider again the accuracy of Jesus' description to his disciples, down to the last deep detail. You know, when God fulfills scriptural prophecy, every last little detail is, is fulfilled. You know, back in the day, um, Lynn and I would annually receive a copy of the Farmer's Almanac. We didn't subscribe to it. I think we, we got another magazine Dare I say it? I think it was Yankee Magazine. Forgive me. Um, But if you look at Farmer's Almanac, it's full of all sorts of useful information about weather, figuring out the best time to plant your garden, depending on where you live in the U.S. They've got it broken down into regions. It tells you about when to plan to plant your garden, when's the last killing frost in, in your region, and when you should begin to prepare your soil and plant the various uh, types of plants in your garden. And they can boast a good track record. 203 years still being printed today. Started 1818. Someone who did the math said it's about 80 to 85% accurate you know, with its long-range weather predictions. You know, but there's also a fair amount of failings, and they acknowledge that in Farmer's Almanac. It's not the word of God, even for gardeners. But when we read God's word and he graciously gives us gospel prophecies about Jesus, you know, there are no mistakes, no false forecasts, no puzzling predictions, You know, when God gives us gospel prophecies, whether it's about Jesus' birth, his suffering, 
for our sins, his death for our sins on the cross, his triumphant resurrection, even his return. You know, it's true truth. You know, fellow believer, rest assured that the same Jesus who gave us a gospel prophecy about a donkey, you know, will also guide our journey of faith. Secondly, it's God-glorifying praise of King Jesus. There, beginning in verse 38, there, the, we see the humble actions by, of the disciples. Uh, they brought it. They brought the donkey, the colt, to Jesus. And it seems there are two separate steps. First, uh, you know, the two donk or the the two disciples and the, the other disciples joined in and throwing their cloaks on the colt. No saddle. We don't want Jesus to ride bareback. That's uncomfortable. As well as being a sign of, of their humility uh, before Jesus. I, Howard Marshall, put it this way, the act of throwing the cloaks is to be regarded as one of honor, a sign of kingship, throwing their cloaks not only on the donkey, but throwing their cloaks on the road before the donkey. You know, they placed Jesus not on a throne, but they placed Jesus on the back of a donkey. Oh, and if you take a close look there at verse 35, you know, two times we have the name Jesus mentioned. Nowhere else in, in this passage. You know, two times for emphasis. And, you know, we know what that name means. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. That was a that was a scriptural prophecy given uh, to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, given to Mary as well. You know, this is Jesus. You know, and they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they said Jesus on it. You know, this is Jesus the Savior. And there, there's a, a holy approach by the Lord. This is, this is a regal event taking place here. He rides the colt on his holy journey to Jerusalem. The crowds give him homage by spreading out their cloaks before him. And now we pan out, not looking only at Jesus and the disciples, Jesus and the crowds. You know, Jesus here is drawing near, not only drawing near to Jerusalem, drawing near to the cross there, verse 37, on his way down in humility, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, not only the 12, but all those who are following Jesus at this point, you know, give him heartfelt and heavenly adoration. They begin to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice. You know, as, as an aside there, that might be something we as Presbyterians need to underline in our Bibles. Rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Not, amen. Why the loud voice? Their hearts are overflowing with praise, with gratitude. 
uh, for Jesus, the love of Jesus, even before the cross. And why? For all the mighty works that they had seen. They were witnesses to the miracles of Christ. You know, just the, the most recent ones, Jesus cleansing the ten lepers, Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus. But here it says, for all the mighty works that they had seen, they were rejoicing. You know, it's an overflowing rejoicing. We saw it, if you go back to the beginning of Luke 19, there was Zacchaeus, that wee little man. Luke 19.6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. They're praising God. You know, that, that's how Luke opens there. The, the incarnation, the angels are, are praising God. The shepherds are praising God. We'll, we'll see that at the very end of Luke as well. Luke 24, uh, 53, again, they're praising God. And they were continually in the temple blessing or praising God. They were praising him, thanking him for his great and gracious love. They were praising him for salvation, forgiveness of sins. You know, and they kept on, now verse 38, saying, present tense, meaning it wasn't a one and done. They kept on saying this over and over again. Sure, they said other words of praise, but this was at the core. Verse 38, Luke 19, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know, when you compare that to to Psalm 118, you know, there's a little bit of difference. Psalm 118 uh, puts it this way, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, that was, the, that was the Old Testament prophecy that they were reciting. But here they are saying, not blessed is he, but blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, when you take a closer look at Psalm 118, you know, Psalm 118 as well tells us, Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They're they're giving praise to that stone that has been rejected by men. He's the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone of our lives. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, Jesus' disciples now gladly acknowledge him as the king. You know, in in Luke's account, I I said earlier, there's four. This account is contained in all four of the Gospels. You know, but in Luke, a few details are are absent that are present in other accounts. No mention of Hosanna here. Though I love seeing the children walk in with the palm branches singing. No, no mention of palm branches here. You know, Luke just focuses in here on this vital gospel detail. You know, of Jesus, our king, who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And along with that, peace in heaven. You know, peace that comes from heaven. Romans 5 verse 1 puts it this way. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through faith in Christ. Now, that was something in Rome's day. You know, here's real peace. Peace doesn't come through government. Peace comes through Jesus, King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Peace and then glory in the highest. That same expression. You know, glory in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, at the start of this morning's worship service, we sang Hosanna, loud Hosanna. It's a joyful Palm Sunday hymn, one of my regrets. We only sing it once a year. (coughs) Excuse me. But look at that last verse. The words are there in in our bulletin. Hosanna in the highest, that ancient song we sing, not only here in Luke, but Old Testament prophecy, for Christ is our Redeemer, the Lord of heaven, our King. Oh, may we ever praise him with heart and life and voice, and in his blissful presence eternally Rejoice. You know, before we move on from Luke 19.38, you know, it's vital for us to know that this verse is a, a gospel hymn that can rightly be sung only by the redeemed. You know, only we as Christians can, can call Jesus the king. You know, it would be blasphemy in the words of anyone else. Only a believer can say, well, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Lord God Almighty. You know, Jesus is Son of God, Savior of sinners. And it's only through faith in Christ that we can know peace with God. We're reconciled to God by Christ's shed blood on the cross. It's only in Christ that we can give glory to God. You know, and so for us as Christians, you know, this... This verse, this song, you know, ought to be precious to us. You know, and I would submit to you that the only real joy is redemption joy. You know, all all other joy is fading, passing. Joy of crawfish, joy of the return of football season, March Madness, end of the COVID, COVID pandemic. You know, things to be celebrated, but the only real joy is redemption joy. Joy in Christ, who came to die for our sins on the cross of Calvary, to be raised again on the third day. Finally, glad proclamation. In many ways, uh, this is one of those Bible accounts that we might say, well, why why didn't Luke, why didn't the Lord stop? There is a glad proclamation we see, you know, in this last section. 
But first, the faithless foes of Jesus, verse 39 of Luke 19. As Jesus, as King Jesus enters into Jerusalem, not everyone is singing his praises. You know, they might have been in the crowds, but they're not singing. They're not even moving their lips. You know, and listen to these hateful and hurtful words from the hard hearts of the Pharisees. They're in the crowds, and they, they call, what do they call Jesus? Teacher. You know, not son of man, not, not Jesus. Teacher. That's sort of like saying, you're a teacher like Confucius, you know, a teacher, a good teacher like Ben Franklin. You know, maybe today, a teacher like Jordan Peterson. And what do they tell Jesus? Actually, they command Jesus. They're, they're trying to assert their authority over Jesus. You know, they're up here, Jesus is down here. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. It's command, it's strong language. Uh, they're charging Jesus' followers with sinful shouting. You know, in essence, they're saying, Jesus, silence your singing church. You know, there's no cause for rejoicing here. They're trying to assert their spiritual authority over Jesus. You know, and there are still those today who say, you know, why, why are you singing? Stop your singing. Stop worshiping the Lord, King of heaven and earth, Savior of sinners. But who has the last word? Verse 40. He answered, and my speculation, he did it very gently, compassionately, but clearly. You know, what does Jesus do? He, speaking to the Pharisees, those who thought they knew everything about scriptures, he, he quotes a scripture to them. You know, from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. You know, to give you an idea of the significance of that, you know, there in that same chapter, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, we read, the righteous will live by faith. I think Jesus was saying, read all of Habakkuk, read all of that chapter. If you follow up Habakkuk 2, verse 14, this is following that the stones will cry out. Habakkuk 2, 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But Jesus simply quotes that, that partial section. You know, and a, a couple truths that he's communicating there. First, that all of God's word is inspired and profitable for teaching, yes, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. But again, for the stone, or the stones will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. J.C. Ryle helps us here. He writes, if men did not rejoice at Christ's advent, even 
inanimate nature would cry shame. You know, even, even God's creation would be rebuking those who foolishly um, thought uh, they had an inside track with God. You know, Jesus rebukes them by God's word. But even here, you know, believe that Jesus rebukes them. Why? So that they would be convicted of their sins so that they would repent of their sins and that they would be trusting in Christ. Now it's a word of gospel hope here, even for the Pharisees. Said that back in the days of yore, I'm not quite sure of the time frame in history, it said that when the king of England came to enter the ancient city of London, Uh, Through the temple bar, the gate being closed against him, uh, the herald traveling with the king would demand entrance by shouting out, open the gate. And from within, then, a voice could be heard saying, asking, who is there? And the herald, again on the outside with the king, would say, would forthrightly reply, the king of England. It said that at once the gate would be opened and the king would enter in amidst the joyful acclamation of his people within. You know, if that, that's true of kings of England, you know, how much more should it be that joyful, glad occasion when Christ the king comes? In the name of the Lord, bringing peace in heaven, glory in the highest. You know, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, may we joyfully praise Christ our King. Not not just on Palm Sunday, not just on Resurrection Sunday. Every day of our lives. You know, thanking the Lord that Christ is our King, that Christ brings peace. Only Christ brings forgiveness of sins, hope of salvation. May we joyfully praise him who came to bring peace with God, assurance of salvation by his sacrificial death for our sins on the cross. Keep that verse in mind today and in the days ahead. Luke 19.38 saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we do praise and thank you. May we praise you not just with our lips, but with our hearts, hearts that are filled with gratitude for your gracious love for us in Christ. Thank you for calling us to faith in Christ. Thank you for cleansing us from our sins by the shed blood of Christ. Thank you that we can celebrate and rejoice in our redemption even now on this side of eternity. And Lord, may there be a longing in our hearts for for heaven when we will behold Christ face to face 
in all of his glory, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But Lord, even now, along with praising you, pray that you would be pleased to use us to proclaim this gospel to the Pharisees around us, to the crowds around us. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be pleased to work in our hearts and in the hearts of those who will hear so that they might come to saving faith in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.